Let's talk about inner disruptions. That's what we're talking about over the next few weeks. I just got done with this series on inner peace, like eight weeks on how to get and maintain uh, an inner sense of, of peace because that's a part of living in the presence of God is inner peace. That's one of his gifts that he gives us, and I'm very thankful for inner peace. But then there are times when God reaches in and sort of disrupts us and that's a big part of growing spiritually and stepping into the life that God has for us. I, I think it, it's, it's uh, like I saw it at work Thursday at Thanksgiving. So it's one of those weird days where you're very, very grateful, but then you kind of feel like messed up for how good you have it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I, I, I wake up and I'm at the in-law's house and it's warm and there, you know, anything I could need is, is right there. Um, blankets to stay warm and, and a fridge full of Diet Coke and I'm pretty happy on Thanksgiving. But then you think about people who are waking up in homeless shelters and you just, you know, just kind of unsettling. I have a, a great extended family and a great immediate family. We're all very close and we love each other and we like each other most of the time. And other people then, you know, I'm very grateful for that. But then I know that people wake up and are lonely on Thanksgiving. And then I feel like, oh, man, that's, you know, you know, so you just have that like, I'm thankful for this. This brings me peace and joy. <clears throat> but you realize that not everybody has that experience and it produces a kind of disruption. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about over the next couple of weeks, actually, inner peace is great. But we weren't made to just be at peace. God will disrupt us because we were made for greater things. And so we're going to talk through, last week we talked about like being disrupted by the spiritual condition of your neighbors and stuff and sometimes inviting them to church or inviting them to Jesus or getting Jesus to them somehow if you're far enough along in your walk with Jesus, that, that that's a part of God's desire for our life. That's a part of our responsibility. This week we're going to talk about uh, a little bit further, we're going to talk a little more global like, there are people all over in physical need, even far away. And uh, we are responsible to think bigger than just our own peace and comfort and to actually do something. So, uh, to, to do this, I'm going to talk to you, and then for those of you familiar with my upfrontness, um, you know that I tend to speak in, like, riffs. So I have a handful of riffs that I want to walk through today. And, uh, and then we'll um, hear what a family at Polaris is doing and hopefully apply it to all of us. So, first little riff. You and I were made to do something about something. See, sometimes we reduce uh, Christianity or uh, um, church to uh, church attendance. Like, if I just attend church, I'm good. And I should probably cuss a little bit less. And... Um, kind of wait to die until I get, you know, I'm in heaven and that's kind of like, here's the gospel, here's Jesus. You, he wants you to cuss a little less and go to church and listen to some sermons and um, then you die and that's when, like, you know, pay dirt. So I think what we find in scripture, though, is that there's a little bit of a different narrative, a little bit of a greater expectation. So I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 2. <clears throat> incredibly important passage of scripture. Try not to get lost in like the churchy theological language and we're going to look for the main point. I'll help you get there. Okay. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love 
with which he has loved us. Uh, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not your own doing, it's a gift from God. Not a result of works so that no one will boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, lots of churchy language there, especially on the front end of that, but here's what... God's doing something. He's doing something big. He's doing something that that is beyond our thinking because it's grace. And while we don't see ourselves as worthy, God does. And what God is doing is, one of the things he's doing is he has prepared beforehand things for you and me, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, he's prepared things for us to do. So this is not just like God's prepared a church pew for you and a sermon for you to listen to. He has prepared things for you to do, for an impact for you to make in this world. The implications are since the creation of the world, God has a plan for your life that involves you doing things for him, doing something about something that's bigger than behavior modification. You No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, God has things prepared in advance for you to accomplish with your life. No matter what, that's you. It's a part of your identity. Riff number two. (laughs) There is nothing more pathetic or tragic than a wasted life. There is nothing more pathetic or tragic than a wasted life As someone who um, is involved intimately in a lot of funerals, I can tell you that that there is nothing more heartbreaking than knowing, essentially, when I'm preparing this, this talk for the funeral, like this person has nothing to show for their life. They have wasted their life. Um, Now, obviously, I'm not going to make a talk that, that, you know, says that, but some you have to work a little harder than others. And, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. There are people buried in very expensive caskets who have wasted their life. There are people who uh, can scarcely afford anything that have wasted their life. So all different socioeconomic, there's nothing more tragic, no matter who you are, no matter where. And, and, and so here, here's what Jesus has to say about wasting life. This is Luke 12. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, like jealousy, the desire for things. For one's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I'll invest in things with a greater financial return, whatever, however you want to frame it to our modern day. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I've made it. 
But God said to him, in his best Mr. T voice, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now the point of this story is that when we just think about ourselves and our own inner peace and fail to use the things that God has given us to bless others and to help others, when we fail to actually do something about something, we have wasted our lives. We waste our life when we make it all about us. You could say it another way. God has great things for you to do and it goes above and beyond your 401k, um, gathering things in your name, becoming more financially secure and safer. Now, I don't think those things are a bad thing. I think it certainly doesn't honor God to be wasteful or reckless with our resources, but we were made for more than just creating a great sense of inner peace for ourselves and our family. Inner peace can be dangerous for our soul. That's what that parable is about. Riff number three. God tells us in no uncertain terms how to really get our life wrong. Like if you really want to mess up your life and you really want to not live for the things God cares about, God lays out what you do. There's a place in Ezekiel 16 when God is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is a very famous uh, two cities in the Bible. It's the place where God rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed two cities like that. Like there was a thriving city, and seconds later there was a smoldering hole in the ground where they used to be. God tells us what there are a few times where God just comes unglued like that. But if you want to know what to do to invoke that kind of response, God tells So this is Ezekiel. He's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, spoke on behalf of God. Here's what he says in Ezekiel, 6, Ezekiel 16. <clears throat> now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. And you probably are familiar with the sin closely associated with what the Bible says was closely associated with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what God really says about it, okay? She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. So it doesn't seem like this was the common lifestyle associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. It seems like it was the fact that they were overfed and unconcerned, which is not the best thing to talk about the Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? <clears throat> they were overfed and unconcerned, and God stepped in. That was where they got it most wrong. They were overfed. And unconcerned. They did not use their resources to help those in need. They used everything to gain pleasure rather than to actually do something about something. 
Now, I want to stay positive. Let's think in terms of opportunity. Let's think in terms of higher calling. God invites us into a relationship of mercy where we're called to join him in bringing mercy in bringing God's help to people around us. We build our church and felt called by God to build our church around Isaiah 58. <clears throat> Isaiah 58 is God's call to use our resources um, to care for those in need. I, f- I feel like, like I need to, and I, I just am feeling this pressing need at the moment to make a connection here, and I, maybe this is just me roughing, maybe God is actually like guiding me toward this. Um, you ever drive a vehicle or ride a bike that's not in gear right? Like I borrowed um, Bill Beebe's truck a few weeks ago. Um, he needed a minivan for a hockey tournament, and I used his truck, and I, I had it in the wrong gear. I didn't tell him. <clears throat> but I'm, like, driving around the corner. I'm like, man, this truck is really loud for a new truck. And, like, it's struggling to get to, like, you know, 45 miles. And, and I realize, oh, I'm in, like, the wrong gear. Or maybe you've been in a bike and a gear. Like, it, it creates stress. I wonder how many families and marriages struggle or really hurting because they haven't shifted into a gear beyond family financial security squabbles over like what things should we buy, how much should we spend on ourselves, how like like a, a you know what I mean? Versus a gear that says what what are we about? What are we going to do with what God has given us to help others? So here's here's Isaiah 58. This is Isaiah 58, just a real quick excerpt Loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. Yoke were things that like bound together, like the idea of of sort of a forced work oppression kind of thing. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe them. Not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, your own family. It's, It's the idea of you are meant to use what God has given you to do something about something. It is not just about creating a sense of inner peace by, by gathering and, for lack of a better, like, you know, hoarding, storing up for yourself. Um, and it's beautiful when people step into this kind of flow of life. It's so much more rewarding and fulfilling when we feel those inner disruptions and and actually are moved to do something about it. So I want to tell you about um, a family at Polaris, Christy Badley and Chuck Badley and their family. And and they have been at Polaris for quite a while now. Christy's part of our Rise and Shine preschool um, and kindergarten and they have um, just sort of grown into this calling and, and God has laid a very specific disruption in their heart. And they're going to respond to that and they're going to do something about it. And as a church, we get to be a part 
of what God is doing through them. So take a look at their story, and then we'll close up. We live such a sheltered life in such a bubble, um, and everything's pretty close to perfect. What are we missing? What are our, our kids going to come back to us in 10, 15, 20 years and say, how could you guys have let this happen? How did, how did you not do anything about this thing that was going on? Having had the opportunity to, to chase that American dream um, from, a, from a job perspective was very fulfilling, but there was still, you know, what's it, what's it all mean? You know, when I leave those companies, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. So I personally started to go um, on more of a journey of what do I want to do with the second half of my life, so to speak. Over the next two years, it was, it was just little one-liners that, that you would hear in a sermon that would stick with you and resonate with you that slowly started to build into a calling. Um, and so for us, we've always been passionate about children. And for me, I remember one day Alex was talking about uh, a statistic of 30,000 children a day die from complications of, of not having enough food. And, you know, after church, we would go to a, a, take the kids to a buffet and we're throwing food away. And, and it's just the, the contrast really started to, to hit home with us. Chuck's mom sprang it on the entire family that she wanted to take us out of Costa Rica. They had gone to Costa Rica to visit several times. and She wanted to take the entire family on this all-inclusive vacation of a lifetime. And you land in, in, in this town and you get on a bus and you start to drive to the house where we're staying and you're driving, what an hour, and you're, you're starting to look around and, and you're thinking, it's not very nice here. It's, it's, and these are huts and these, the people have dirt floors and, and you start to get uncomfortable and then you pull up to this house that's just a lavish house with servants and cooks and the you know an endless swimming pool looking out over the ocean and it hit both of us of just like wait a minute we this doesn't fit with what we just drove through it wasn't in the brochure it was right. a little it was so uncomfortable and then one day we had gone down into town just to do some shopping and there was a kid there was a boy maybe 13 14 years old and he was making um Animals, you know, I'm gonna make balloon animals. That's what I compare it to. He was making animals out of like um, long pieces of grass. Then he would ask for a donation, um, and so we asked our guy, you know, what's going on with him? And the guy was very, that's he's he's Nicaraguan. Um, he's here as a refugee. He's just trying to panhandle, basically. It really just kind of blew it off and, and didn't want to talk about it and didn't want to address it. And um, that's when you started digging into. Well, wait a minute, there are refugees in Costa Rica, where are the refugees from and why are they here and what are they running from and are there opportunities for here, here for them? Uh, we actually found that, of all places, Costa Rica um, has a significant um, refugee population from, from Nicaragua. Uh, so there are a lot of people that flee Nicaragua for, for violence reasons, um, past political uh, you know, gangs, um, economic opportunities and so forth. Um, they don't have access to the very generous Costa Rican government resources. Um, you know, the free medical, the free school, just all of those types of things. Um, so specifically, we uh, have, have found an area called Tejarcios, and that is a, a barrio of Alavalita, 
and it's estimated that there are at least 3,000 households of Nicaraguan refugees just in that area. On, on top of that is you have these, they're not even defined, so this area is called Los Pinos, but it's not really a barrio because there's no structure. These, they call them shanty towns, so it's, 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 it's uh, plywood, it's um, aluminum sheeting or, or sheet metal sheeting. The only thing that's separating them is a piece of tin or a piece of cardboard. Um, there's no, they're dirt floors. Dirt floors. Um, toilets are, are, are buckets. Um, so we drove up and at this point we were kind of, we were still in the part of the, the area that has structure. We got out of the car and we were like, oh, you know, okay, this is not a great area, but we're okay. And, and the guy said, come on, we're, we're walking. And I look over and I see some tin, like, outbuildings, it almost looked like. And he said, this is where we're going. And we start walking up a sidewalk. And I start looking around, realizing that I'm walking through a I start looking around and I realize that I am walking through a neighborhood. There are probably 15 kids sharing one bicycle with a flat tire. And, and all you could see were, were shanties. What blew us away was this sense of community. I didn't feel unsafe. I didn't feel unwelcome. Um, and it was a really cool feeling a hundred yards into the worst area of, I, I could not have even fathomed that this existed. And so we, we had to get away for a little while. And finally he looked and said, you know, you got to tell me what's going on. You got to tell me what you're thinking. You got and I, and I said, I can't, I can't forget what I saw yesterday. You're not going to find a place where any more needs exist than where we were yesterday. Um, and, and I don't need to keep looking, and I can't ignore that the rest of my life. What we found is the most critical element of success is building those relationships first. Uh, so we heard that over and over again from the organizations that have had more long-term successes. You have to build the trust in these communities. You have to build relationships in these communities. Uh, what really excited us about uh, the group in Los Pinos, and they're, they're called Education Plus or Ed Plus, um, they have been there for 25 years, and like I said, several of the staff actually came out of that area. Several of the staff live in that area, um, so those relationships and those bonds are, are tight. And so for us, we thought maybe the best place to start is let's support them. Let's let's get in there and figure out what those needs are that, that, they, that they have that maybe um, aren't being met. They're losing about 20% of their funding that they were receiving from the Costa Rican government. Um, and one of the programs that they had teed up last August, uh, the government literally gave them 30-day notice that they weren't going to be funding that program. We have found this organization that's doing the type of work that we, we, we really support. It means a lot to us in an area where we're passionate about, you know, the need is there. Um, and so it really now becomes what can we do to support them to continue their, their cause. So, you know, the this, this structure now of, of, of lovepure.org is um, to help generate resources, financial resources, for Education Plus to continue um, to fund their programs. And the plan will be to do that for a couple of years as we build relationships and get to know the community. Um, and, you know, 
build resources here in the United States of people that want to be involved, uh, whether it's through their, their time and, and, and efforts, through their talents, or through donations. Um, and then ultimately that can turn into a much bigger, you know, what could we do? Could we build a community center? Do we need to add new programs that are not in place today? We, we believe that every human on this planet deserves food, water, and shelter, safety, everybody. We believe that we should love without condition, we should um, love without reservation, and just as importantly, we should love without expecting anything return, in return. And in Costa Rica, there's a saying, pura vida, which is pure life, and it was just very fitting for us to talk about pure love, um, and this is why we named the organization Love Pure. Yeah. I love knowing that we get to be a part of that. And, and I got to tell you, we'd be here for a while if they were to tell you some of the backstories and how God has like shaped things. And just, I mean, the presence of God all over this, it's very obvious. Even <clears throat> two, uh, two families of Polaris have Costa Rican roots. Which, from what I learned, is crazy, because I once, apart from this, I just introduced, I was like, oh, you're from Costa Rica? I know, Gus is from Costa Then I introduced him. I didn't know whether they were, like, hugging or wrestling in the lobby. <laughs> I was like, what, what the heck's going on there? <laughs> and they said, I guess it's just, like, this crazy rare thing for Costa Ricans to find each other around here, because they don't leave Costa Rica. Uh, and, and so, um, that... Costa Rican roots already here. They thought they were on a, Chuck and Christy thought they were on a vacation. Turned out they were about to be uh, disrupted uh, in, a, in a pretty big way. And so here's, we're all in. And I know that, that God's going to call different people to do different things through this. And, and some of you have other causes. That's good too. But if this is something that you, our Christmas Eve offerings this year are going to go 100%, the 23rd and the 24th, are going to go 100% to uh, love pure, to help them do their thing and get started in this um, adventure that's going to shape over the coming years. So everything that you feel led to give toward that will go to um, children in, in that situation through love pure. And um, we're just getting started with that. And, and here's what I want to do. We're, we'll, um, we'll pray for the Badleys in a minute and they're going to hang out up here so you can ask any questions. But I want to challenge you. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, give yourself the promotion to live like Ephesians 2 is God's plan for your life. It's not that we don't want to do great things with our life, it's that we never give ourselves the promotion to believing that God actually has things for us to do. And then pay attention to where you're disrupted. I think Chuck and Christy would be the first to tell you they don't know exactly what they're doing. They just know they were disrupted and they have to do something. They believe that God has laid out things for them to do, whether they deserve it or not. And they're going to take steps. And you, if you give yourself the promotion to believing that God has things for you to do, and allow yourself to be disrupted and, and ask, pray, God, what, what? Show me. Show me what? And then when you see those things and you're disrupted, think through next steps that you can take. And let God move you from a place of total comfort 
out there to do great things about, to, to truly do something about something. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Chuck and Christy to come on up. And if you know them, love them, or just want to be a part of this moment, you can come on up, maybe put a hand on their shoulder, and uh, we're going to pray for them. And then um, we'll be dismissed. So if you want to, um, just come on up if you're connected with Chuck and Christy or Isaiah 58 or whatever. And I like this, like Isaiah 58 conga line. (laughs) So God, thank you for Chuck and Christy, for their family, and um, for the Badley family and the impact that you've already made through them, and for disrupting their inner peace, and for their willingness to um, respond We pray for every one of those children who you know by name and who you love that will be impacted by their faithfulness and by the generosity of your family here at Polaris. Pray that you would call forth resources from all over to support Love Pure, for strong partnerships, for protection, for your anointing. Pray that you would do immeasurably more than anything that we could imagine through this new ministry adventure that begins here now. And I want to pray for everybody here that you would speak clearly, that you would disrupt us, and that you would give us the courage to promote ourselves to making a difference, to doing something about something. Give us clarity and courage, and faith to trust you to make a huge impact for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a good week. And Chuck and Christy will hang out up here.